good morning, Grace Church. My name is Dan Martin, and I am the youth pastor at Bramley Alliance Church in Brampton, Ontario. Now, Pastor Ryan and I, uh, we have a friendship that actually goes back many years now, back to our Bible college days, uh, when we both studied together at Heritage College in Cambridge before we entered into pastoral ministry. Now, when we were at school together, Ryan and I, we actually uh, got to work close together. Um, We both served on our student cabinet. Ryan was the president and I was the vice president. And I know that sounds really prestigious, but when you realize it was only a school of about 300 college students, uh, the leadership pool was fairly small. Now, my wife, Courtney, and I, we had the privilege of attending Ryan and Heather Mary's wedding, and I've also enjoyed hanging out with Ryan uh, on many occasions, especially enjoyed some weekend camping trips with him. Now, Ryan and I, we actually served together in youth ministry um, when Ryan was here in Ontario as part of our denomination, and uh, he was a youth pastor in Chatham, Ontario, before heading out west. And I, I remember the moment when Ryan shared with me that he felt that God was moving him out of youth ministry. And I remember because I prayed with him at this camp, this camp called Muskoka Woods, as he was discerning where God was leading him next. And it turned out, uh, turns out that God was leading him out west. And so I just want to start off this morning by saying that you have an amazing pastor in Ryan. You know, when I think of our times together, whether in leadership ministry Uh, going to a conference together, or just casually hanging out, one word that comes to mind when I think about Ryan is perseverance. Perseverance against all odds. And the picture that captures Ryan's perseverance for me was actually during a camping trip on Lake Erie, Uh, you know, because one morning the group of us, we were all kind of sitting on the beach and Ryan had this idea to take out one of the canoes. Now, normally this would be a good idea, But that morning, the waves were crashing in after a stormy night. And I've actually done quite a bit of canoeing, and I knew what canoes could do and what they couldn't do. And so where I saw a problem, Ryan saw potential. And I sat there on the beach, and I watched as Ryan battled the waves, as he got pushed and knocked over again and again. But he just kept grabbing that canoe and persevered. Now, Ryan was not successful in launching the canoe that day, but that moment is cemented in my mind forever. You know, I think in the Christian life, the truth is that many of us followers of Jesus, we actually give up too quickly or we never try to persevere at all. You know, this past year, COVID has been a storm that has battered many leaders over the past 16 months. So church, pray for your leaders, encourage your leaders and stand with them and serve them as they served you through a very challenging season. Well, a little bit about me and my family. Uh, My wife, Courtney, and I, we've been married for 15 years. Uh, My wife is a high school biology teacher, and we have uh, two young girls, Brennan, who is seven, and Emrys, who is five. And like many young families with school-aged children, we are entering into this summer with a sigh of relief, but also with a sense of hope. Hope for what next year will bring as things continue to open up. And so as we turn to God's word today, um, the one thing I want to talk to you about is hope. And so to begin this morning, I want you to, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to discuss this question with the people around you for the next 45 seconds. And the question is this, what are some of the things that people turn to for hope today?
Well, this morning, I want to focus our attention on the theme of hope, which I believe is a very fitting theme in the times that we are living in today where people are looking for what they can place their hope in. And we're going to examine the source of true hope through the perspective of a pilgrim who is traveling to Jerusalem to worship God. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, please open those to Psalm 121. Now, the book of Psalms is this collection of songs and hymns, and it's written by several authors, and it kind of functions to provide a perspective on the human condition. And the Psalms are a unique book in that they function both as God's word to us and at the same time, our words back to God. And there are different types of Psalms that describe the whole range of human emotion from plea, crying out to God in times of trouble, to praise, thanking God when he answers our plea. And the psalm that we're going to look at this morning, it actually doesn't fall neatly into either one of those two categories, but it actually sits right in between, and it's called a psalm of confidence. Now, one of the things that I really appreciate about the psalms is that they're not always neat and tidy because they address the real issues of life that, let's face it, are not always neat and tidy. And as we examine this psalm together, we are going to see something that doesn't quite fit with the author's circumstance. Because as the author approaches Jerusalem, he sings with confidence, not in anything he has received yet, but with confidence because he understands the true meaning of hope. But before we enter into the word this morning, please join me in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that even though um, I'm uh, filming this in Ontario, my friends are going to be watching this in BC, Father, that your spirit binds us together as the body of Christ. And so God, uh, wherever this is being watched today, I pray that your spirit would reveal your truth to your people. God, whatever is of me, would that quickly be forgotten and not have any lasting impact? We want to hear from you today. So God, would you open our hearts and our minds to your word, to your truth, and would you shape your people as we listen, as we learn, and as we follow what you're teaching us today. And so God, I just want to give this morning to you, and I pray that you would transform us uh, by your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, as mentioned, the Psalms are God's word to us, and at the same time, our words back to God in worship. You know, the Psalms were used by the community to worship God together. And so if we were all together this morning, I would love to read Psalm 121 with all of you as it was originally written. Because you see, there's actually two voices in this Psalm. And it's kind of written like a script with these two separate parts. You know, the first two verses is the confession of the Psalmist himself, shown through the personal pronouns, I and my. And then the final six verses, they form a response uh, from a second voice, which can be seen through a shift from first person to second person pronouns. Instead of I, my, we now see 10 times you or your. This likely would have been read by a priest or a worship officiant. And so again, if we were all together in person, I would have loved to have read this psalm together like a script in its two original parts. But even though we're not all in the same room together, 
Um, whether you're in person or you're online, I'd love to read this together with you. And so I will play the part of the psalmist. I will read the first two verses on my own. And then together, wherever you're watching this, I would encourage you to stand with me and we will read the part of the worship leader, which is the response found in verses three to eight. And so first of all, verses one and two. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And then together, let's all read the response of the worship leader from verses three through eight. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Amen. So we have just read this psalm, but like an Amazon box that gets shipped to your house, let's begin to unpack this psalm together and discover its deep truths inside. First again, verses one and two. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, Psalm 121 is actually part of a collection of 15 psalms called the Psalms of Ascent because they were used by God's people as they ascended or journeyed up towards Jerusalem for annual worship festivals. Now, the mountain that's talked about is most likely Jerusalem, the city itself, as it was built on and surrounded by many hills. And so as the pilgrim traveled up to Jerusalem to worship, it would require them to lift their eyes up to the mountain, the city of Jerusalem. And then comes the question, where does my help come from? Now this question is rhetorical because the psalmist already knows the answer and he immediately declares, my help comes from the Lord. Which Lord? Well, the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord who not only made the heavens and the earth and the mountain, but who chooses to dwell there with his people. Now, there's this question that I want to keep on coming back to as we unpack this psalm. And this question is this, why does the psalmist look to God with confident hope? Well, first, we're going to see that the psalmist looks to God with confident hope because he knows that God alone is his help. Now, what does the psalmist mean when he talks about God being his help? Well, this is where the English translation of the original Hebrew can really take the punch out of what this song is trying to say. You know, I think of the word help, I often think of my two young girls who love to help daddy. You know, often when I'm cooking a meal at home, uh, my daughters ask if they can help me. And usually before I can even answer them, they're already putting on their aprons, pulling out the stepping stool so that they can help me, as we call in our family, 
uh, as my little sous chef. Now, whatever follows this moment would be hard to define as help because if anything, the person who is being helped is often them as they help themselves to the ingredients as I'm trying to make a meal. And I'm sure most parents can relate to that kind of help. But the psalmist isn't looking to God for assistance, like phoning some type of help desk for support. That is very far from the original meaning. The actual word that the English word help comes from is ezir, which repeatedly in the Old Testament means to save and deliver. Now, pastor and theologian John Piper, he actually captures the essence of help as salvation or deliverance through an illustration about prayer where he describes prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie. He paints this picture of soldiers in wartime being pinned down by enemy fire, lies being destroyed all around them, and they cling to this walkie-talkie calling out to help because they are desperate to be saved. This is what the psalmist is saying. When he looks to the maker of heaven and earth, not for mere assistance, not for that kind of help, but he understands that his protection, salvation, and deliverance are solely in the hands of God. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this psalm is a song of confidence. You see, the psalmist doesn't question these things. He knows where his help comes from. And so he sings with confidence trusting in God for protection, believing that God will always watch over him, which we're going to see in the response found in the next six verses that we read together just earlier. So again, in verse three, it says this, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So why does the psalmist look to God with such confident hope? Well, second, the psalmist looks to God with such confident hope because he knows that God never stops watching over us. Now, the remainder of this psalm points to this central theme, which is so important. It's actually repeated six times in the final six verses, that God is always watching over us. And so the psalmist makes this point in this kind of unusual way because he begins talking about sleep and slumber and the fact that God never sleeps. Now, it may seem like a strange description to us of this never sleeping, always watching God. But the psalmist is setting up this contrast between the true God of heaven and earth who is over and above all other gods. You see, unlike these other gods, Yahweh never sleeps. See, the idea of sleeping gods was actually quite a normal belief in many ancient Near Eastern traditions. It was actually accepted as normal uh, for deities to sleep like humans so that they could perform their daily activities because they just got tired. And so the psalmist here is showing his confidence by contrasting Yahweh, the God who never sleeps, never tires, never stops watching over us, with that of all the other sleeping gods. Now, this isn't the first time in the Bible where God's people have made this point. The prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18, he outwardly and with much enthusiasm, he mocks Baal, God of the Canaanites, 
during this mountaintop battle of the gods, telling them that perhaps their God cannot respond to them because he's sleeping. Now, there is an implication here that Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann brings up, and I love this. He explains that worship of God is not one directional, kind of like a one-way street. He explains that in worship, to claim that God has ultimate authority is at the same time to debunk any other authority that we may place our trust in. See, worship is a two-way street in one direction towards God. It's pointing to the reality of who he is. And in the other direction, it's debunking all the false realities that are not true. Brueggemann, he puts it this way. He says this, Worship is a determined dismissal of all other gods. When the church says the name of Yahweh out loud, under its breath, it also quietly but undoubtedly says, and not Baal, not Marduk, not Dagon, not Enlil, not, not, not. All other gods have no gifts to give, no benefits to bestow, no summons to make, no allegiance to claim. They are massively and forcefully dismissed. So today, although we may not think about placing our trust in the gods of the ancient world, our worship of God still stands against anything else we may place our hope and trust in. And so like the psalmist in worship, when we declare our trust in God who never stops watching over us, we are at the same time under our breath dismissing our trust in all other things. I trust in you, God, and not my job, and not my finances, and not my possessions, and not my future plans, not my health, not my friends, or my family. My trust is in you alone, the God of heaven and earth. All right, let's keep continuing with the psalm reading in verses five and six. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. So why does the psalmist look to God with confident hope? Well, thirdly, he looks to God with confident hope because he knows that God's protection is near. Now, the psalmist builds on this last point where he declares that God constantly watches over us, not from a safe distance, but that his protection is near. Now, one of the things I love about the Psalms is how they use poetic forms to communicate truth. Now, one of those poetic forms is a structure called mirisms. And when you think about this word, just think about kind of like a mirror that shows the opposite reflection. And so mirrorism, it's used when opposite word pairs are used to create a sense of the whole range, kind of like bookends that contain everything in between. And you can probably start to see some of these in this psalm, because in the first two verses, we see that God is the maker of heaven and earth. And here again, in verse six, he talks about the sun and moon, day and night. Later in verse eight, you're gonna see that God watches over us. In some translations, it puts, up, it puts it this way, in your coming in and in your going out. And so the idea here is to show that when God watches over us, it is all day, all night, and all places that we go. Now, unlike some distant security company that is unseen, God's protection is close, is with, is right 
beside us so that he is a shade at our right hand. Now, the same word for shade, cell, it actually appears 10 times throughout the Psalms, like in Psalm 57, verse 1, where God is shown to watch over his people like a mother bird who hides and protects her young under the shadow or shade of her wings. Now, there's also this military connection here that God stands specifically at our right hand because soldiers would hold a shield in their left hand, leaving their right side vulnerable to attack. And so this theme of God standing at your right hand is repeated in other places throughout the Psalms. And so God is not watching us from some safe distance, but he's close, he's near, he's at our right hand, protecting us like a mother bird who protects her young. And so as we've seen, the psalmist can look to God with confident hope because one, he knows that God alone can help. Number two, he knows that God never stops watching over us. And number three, he knows that God's protection is near. And lastly, we will see that the psalmist can look to God with confident hope because God's constant and near protection is for life. Verse seven says this, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Now in this final verse, the pilgrim who's traveling to Jerusalem, he knows that it's not only inside Jerusalem's walls that he is watched over and protected by God, but also during his travels out in the wilderness, which for Israel was a big part of their history and their way of life. You know, the cycle of life for ancient Near Eastern people was that, you know, they would leave the safety of their city walls during the day to work out in the fields, and then they would return back at night knowing that God watched over them in their coming in and in their going out. And so the implication for us is that God watches over us everywhere we go. He doesn't live in a building like a church. Uh, you know, I remember years ago, a former student of mine, he showed up at the church one day to talk, and I asked him a pointed question, and it kind of caused him to pause for a moment, and then he turned to me and he said, Pastor, I can't answer your question because I can't lie in a church. And I responded back to him, would you like to continue talking outside? <laughs> and we both kind of smiled and laughed as he immediately realized the irony of his concern because God is everywhere. So as we've unpacked this psalm together, we've learned that Psalm 121 is a song of confidence in the God of heaven and earth who is right beside us, always watching over us both now and forever. Now, the reason why I chose this psalm is because, as I shared at the beginning, it doesn't actually fit neatly into the typical categories of plea or praise, but actually sits right in the middle. And it's because of this that I think it speaks very well to the theme of hope that we're focusing on today. You know, typically, a song matches its circumstance, but not in the case of a psalm of confidence like the one we've been reading. Listen to this quote by one Old Testament professor. He puts it this way. 
It is one thing to sing a hymn when all is well, or a lament when trouble is on all sides, or a song of thanksgiving when God has delivered us from distress. In each of these cases, our song and our circumstances match. To express profound confidence in God when help has not yet come is quite another matter. To express confidence in God when help has not yet come. Friends, this is hope. When our confidence is placed not in our circumstances, but in someone much greater. As Christ followers, our hope is in the never sleeping, always watching, always with us, right beside us now and forever, God of heaven and earth. And so this leads me to my next discussion question. And so as you're watching this, I want you to answer this question. When have you had to place your confidence in something or someone greater than yourself? Now this past year and a bit, COVID has really created a shift for many of us in our perspective in life today. You know, life may have changed. Your circumstances may have changed, but the God of heaven and earth has never changed and never stopped watching over you. You know, throughout all of the challenges that life may be throwing at you right now, when you lift your eyes up, what do you look for? for hope today. You know, in the summer of uh, 2019, for the fourth time, I had the privilege of leading a student team back to Trujillo, Peru, uh, to serve once again with an organization called Inkalink. It's a ministry partner of our denomination with a ministry couple, Alex and Hoka. And while we were there, Michael, one of our team members, he was standing on top of this roof of one of the buildings, and he was given perspective while enjoying the view of the mountains all around us. You see, Michael entered into the week focusing on fear and anxiety. And as he stood on the roof that day, there was this mountain that he had been kind of looking at that he had a clear view of. As he stared at this mountain, he began to notice through the haze a much larger mountain that served as a backdrop that dwarfed this much smaller mountain that he'd been looking at. And in that moment, God spoke powerfully to Michael about what he had been looking to for hope. See, God showed Michael that even through his fear and anxiety, even though they were real, they were kind of like that small mountain. And God was like that larger mountain that had overwhelmed and overshadowed everything else around it. You see, on the roof that day, Michael learned to change his focus, to lift his eyes and place his hope in the God whose love overshadowed and overcomes all of his fear and anxiety. I actually have a copy of a blog that he wrote shortly after this experience. Michael wrote this. The mountains surrounding this place have taught me 
how God's love is greater than my fear. As I place my faith in him, his love stands like a giant mountain that overshadows the smaller mountain of my fear and anxiety. He has been faithful and I give him thanks for helping me to step out of my comfort zone and be a light for him. You see, a psalmist as well as Michael learned that when we watch for hope, we learn that the God of hope is already watching over us. Church, the God of heaven and earth has never stopped watching over us. And during these difficult days, when you lift your eyes up, what have you been looking to for hope? See, have you focused on your circumstances, kind of like the small mountain? Or have you placed your hope in someone much greater than never sleeping, always watching, always with us, right beside us, now and forever, God of heaven and earth. And if you've never found hope or you've lost hope in God, he is closer than you think. See, God loves you more than you will ever know and more than you will ever understand fully. He loves you so much that the God of heaven came down to earth in the person of Jesus. God became flesh, was born, and through his perfect life and death and resurrection from the grave, he provides us with real hope. That is what our confidence is in, that God through Jesus has overcome sin and death. And as Jesus told us in John 16, that he has overcome the world. This is the life that God invites us into. Now, I don't know what you're looking to for hope these days, but my prayer for you and for me is that as we watch for hope, that we find that the God of hope is already and always watching over us. This God is inviting us to place our hope in him because through Jesus, he has overcome anything and everything that we could ever go through. He has overcome the world. And this is why we can have hope. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that in a season of life, this year that's been so challenging, so difficult, that God, even through all of what we've been going through, that you have never stopped watching over us. And God, for my brothers and sisters in BC, I pray that you would encourage their hearts today that if they're struggling, if they're sinking, if they're feeling like their whole life is like that small mountain, that you would help them to lift their eyes to see the God who is greater, who is bigger, who is overshadowing and who has overcome all of their trials and challenges. Jesus, thank you that through your perfect life, death, and resurrection from the grave that you have overcome the world. Would you restore our hope and our trust in you? And Father, as we walk this week out, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you restore our hope in you because of what you've done for us through Jesus Christ? And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.